Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. First Centier Investors are a global asset management group managing $247.3 billion of assets as of the 30th September 2021. They have 17 independent teams operating across equities, fixed income, listed and direct infrastructure and multi-asset, led by principles of responsible investment and stewardship. They are home to FSSA Investment Managers, an Asian and global emerging markets equities investor. Stuart Investors, a pioneer in emerging market equities and sustainable investing, and Real Index Investments, a systematic equities manager. Welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm joined by Kate Zerbst. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Now, we are lucky enough to be recording live in person for a change, which is amazing. Um, both living in the Gold Coast. Yeah, it's a pretty good spot to live. It's, it's a beautiful day today, too. It's terrible. Uh, now, tell us about what you're doing at the moment. Okay, so essentially at the moment, I'm running a back office support business for financial planners. We uh, focus mainly on para planning at this point in time, and we provide uh, a para planning service that includes a compliance overlay. So we support financial planners in making sure that they're satisfying their best interest duty, they've got the correct scope in the plan, and we provide a compliance checklist at the end of the process. Uh, it's a little bit different to the standard para planning service where we follow a set of instructions given by the financial planner. And if we if we notice in their um, in their plan request that there is something in their file notes that's missing or uh, a strategy that could be further developed, then we will always go back and provide that feedback. Yep, exactly. Now, uh, it, what you probably missed in that part that was it's more of a proactive para planning service. You're a you're a you're a planner. You're a advisor planner yourself for yes. many years before you uh, started this business. So you know what you're talking about when it comes to those things. Uh, and we also want to talk about today some of the stuff you're working on with the professional year and the and the content you're producing. So we'll get to that in a second. Yes. Uh, but before that, let's uh, let's shoot back in time. Tell us about how you got into the profession. Okay, so I started out as a teacher way back in my day and then moved to a small country town and uh, was doing relief teaching and to be honest, it was pretty hard going every day, um, working in schools with rowdy kids <laughs> and trying to control them. As opposed to um, financial planners. Yeah, 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 yeah Not absolutely. rowdy at all, yeah. And clients. I yep. mean, same, same, but different. Yep. Um, so I saw a job as a trainee financial planner at the time and thought, yes, I've always been interested in financial planning and managing money and had read lots of books. I think back in those days, it was Paul Clitheroe and oh, there was one other one. I can't think of his name, but... So I gave it a go, got the job, um, and spent two years 
completing a trainee financial planning position, completed my diploma studies, started with the admin, worked my way through the para planning and then... Who was that with? Was that with a big organisation? It was with uh, MLC Garvin yep. at that point in time. So they and had plenty of resources. They did have plenty of resources. Um, the financial planner was an, an old Australian Eagle life insurance Guy, so mostly focused on superannuation and insurance, which was which was a really great, I guess, foundation for me. Um, after that, I moved back to the Gold Coast. Um, my husband had a teaching job to come back to with the state system, so uh, it worked really well getting that two years of training. It was also good timing because I felt all I'd learnt, all that I could learn from that planner, and needed to go and get experience in in other areas. Um, so that was when my career, I guess, took a little bit of a, a side step. Um, I called up when I got to the Gold Coast to join a hockey club. The lady that I was speaking to on the phone said, oh, you, my husband owns a financial planning licensee here on the Gold Coast. Um, are you looking for work? We might be able to get you a job. So I ended up working at Fitzpatrick's dealer group on the Gold Coast here and spent a couple of years in a compliance management role, working with an outsourced compliance provider, making sure we we had all of the things on our license ticked off, rolling out advisor education and induction for training, completing audits, all of that sort of stuff that goes on in operating a licensee. So that was a really, really great experience. I would imagine that would be quite a tough gig, like coming oh, in absolutely. a couple of years' experience working in a planner's office, you know, yep. getting your head around the Corps Act and how that works for licensees, and then going out and, and being the person that audits financial advice. Yeah, it was, absolutely. But I had a, a great um, support structure in place. So my boss um, at the time was amazing. Um, Paragem, I think was their name back then. Um, they, I had someone I could call at any point in time and they helped supervise what I was doing. So I guess it was like a training program um, in the job that I was in. So Yep. Tough, but you had some good backup behind you. I did. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so after doing that for a couple of years, I it was time to move on to something else. So I actually had a baby um, and at that point thought it was a great idea to set up a f- my own financial planning business because I hadn't ever really done that part yet. I'd done the para planning and the admin, um, the compliance side um, and thought it was a great time with no clients, newborn baby to go and set up a financial planning business. Which which is probably doable then. It was doable then. But yes. probably not so doable now. I think I think we've Absolutely we've not. done some stuff to the profession where we pushed a price range up so that, that you know, part time role of being a mum and, and looking after a baby and, and looking and seeing a few clients has become almost extinct. And super challenging. Absolutely. Mm. I mean the cost in in itself to be licensed you know, I, I had the benefit of having a, a, a great relationship with them. So I was able to enter quite low at that price point. But now uh, it's quite costly to be licensed. So you need to make sure that you're generating more revenue than it's going to cost you to be licensed in the first place. So that just is a barrier to entry right there. Yep. Now um, you, you say that was a good idea. Um, oh. and, and in practice, that didn't quite work out to be. Oh, no, no, I did. Like, you know, four kids later, a financial planning business later, 150 clients or so, and 
Hey, that sounds cool. that sounds successful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very much so. I, I had good work life balance, and but it did get to the point where I felt like something was going to give. So once all of the new Fazia rules and and requirements started, there was a discussion around that. I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to do running a business, looking after my clients, supporting my staff? And be a good mum and be a good wife um, and run the household. Something's got to give here. So I ended up selling my practice back in 2016-ish. Um, the years start to blur after a while. And within 12 months of being just a mum, uh, I, I needed something for me that I really wanted to go and enjoy and be listened to and not have to nag people all the time. So uh, I got a job in a salaried role at um, Centrepoint Alliance. Yep. Um, worked there for three years. Can I, can I just ask yep. a quick question about selling your business? Because I think it's, it's there's a lot of this going on at the moment with regards to buying and selling, you know, yep. taking over. Uh, any tips or, or suggestions on people that are looking to sell books or sell, sell their business? Look, back in those days, it was quite a simple process because there weren't many books being sold. So I would just make sure that your compliant, your files are schmick, you know, you've got a good um, file so that when the planner's coming in to have a look at the, you know, the, the purchaser is coming in to have a look, they can see exactly quite quickly at a high level that that you're doing all the right things. Yep. So it's almost like a quick renovation before you sell a Absolutely. House. Absolutely. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, no one's going to take on a book if they're not well-serviced, um, engaged clients. Yep. Yep, fantastic. All right, so uh, then into a salary role. So you're selling a business and then moving into a role as – uh, in a salaried role, was there any yep. was there any dramas there with you with people who bought your business, or were they were they happy with that? Um, to be honest, I didn't really hear any um, issues. Yep. Um, once the transaction had taken place, I didn't hear from him again. Um, but, you know, I had a couple of clients call me, and I passed them back over to the planner yep. um, to deal with those issues. Yep. So, yep. Um, yeah, I think. That was probably the biggest one, and and this is probably more for a buyer of a book rather than the seller of the book, is just making sure that you make contact straight up because my quality client, you know, the the ones in my gold tier, I guess, that we're used to being able to call me and have contact, were feeling a little bit lost. You know, I'd communicated to them that I'd decided I was moving out and a new planner was going to be taking over the, the practice, Six months passed, I think, and maybe they hadn't had a phone call or any kind of communication whatsoever. So just making sure you're keeping them in the loop and making contact and connecting as yeah. soon as possible is developing that relationship. Important, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah, oh, very good. So you were, you moved into a salaried role. Yep. As a planner. Yep. That was um, good fun. Um, I I thought that you know this is going to be great. I'm just going to go to work do my job, go home, nine till five, <laughs> didn't quite end up that way. That's that's good in, in pro, you know, the thought process is there, but not good in theory, so in practice. So, you know, everything I do, it's like I'm running my own business. So um, that is potentially, at the end of the day, why I ended up leaving that um, business. Um, I was doing advising. I ended up moving into an operations management role there and making sure the processes and systems were set up well. 
setting up a good process in X-Plan and then decided that it was it was time for me to spread my wings and go and have a crack at this outsourced um, power planning solution because what we'd been using in our business with outsourced providers just wasn't working for me as a planner. So, you know, it would take me five, six, seven hours sometimes to research the strategy that I had to send off to the power planner and then when I get the plan back, it would take me three, four, five hours to check and fix the the document because there were mistakes and it just wasn't a good system. So um, in my um, operations role, I was supporting a financial planner. We had 15 plans to get out that had been in the pipeline for a long time and we rolled those out in the space of four weeks so by having a good system in place, systemizing everything and working through that, it, it, it's a really effective process. And I thought it's time to go and do this for others. Yep. So you're clearly a systems and process human. I definitely am. Yes, absolutely. It just takes out the compliance risk, in my opinion, um, because, you know, with a good system, you can see exactly what's happening. You can slot people in and out of roles Um fairly easily and it's really easy to train people if you've got a good system in place. Yep. Sounds like a dream. Not always um, not always the first thing advisors are good at though. I mean, I think advisors are great at, at speaking to people and translating complex situations, but I guess it's difficult to be to be good at both. Absolutely. And to be honest, I would not rate myself as a, a great, fantastic financial planner. I knew what needed to be done and I had many clients and I built up a client book, but I'm so systems and processes driven that that seems to be where I keep going back to. Financial planners are really good at, at relating to people and having discussions and and when you're really good at that stuff, it comes naturally to you. You're not necessarily yeah. so good at one one's gotta be stronger than the other, right? Absolutely. So, uh, so you've set up, uh, you set up then uh, an outsourced power planning business, yep. but something that you, but from a different angle from obviously from coming at this from a, how do I create plans, good plans that are compliant at a decent, at, you know, at, at, at a decent time frame. A hundred percent. So the time frame thing is something I've got to be honest, I'm still working on because I, I don't write the plans myself. I have a team of staff and I've, I've recruited about eight or nine staff in the space of 12 months and I've been trying to train them to get them up to the standard. And again, it comes back to processes. I can fix their plans or I can give them the feedback required for them to fix their plans so that they're learning and getting to that right standard. So tell us about the process of power planning itself, because I, when I when I think of it in my head, there's there's a couple of different functions to it. There's the research, and then there is the strategy, but then there's also the the document writing piece, piece. which which yep. I'm imagining is uh, not necessarily the the fun part. Yeah, absolutely. So we do all or just some. So depending on what the planner is after, um, we have people who I've trained in the admin part to do all the data entry, the product research on the existing product. And that's a really important part that I'm constantly supporting the planners in to get right, because it forms part of the best interest duty. And that Existing product, you know, getting a, a statement from a, a super fund that may be nearly 12 months old just isn't, doesn't give you enough information. So we contact 
super providers any any existing products that they have and complete that research piece find out about capital gains tax whether the insurance is through super or you know get all of that data that you need um, we then um, complete we use mostly x plan only x plan I did try to go off to other providers but you know, sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> I'm just going to stick – I'm so busy with what I'm good at that, yep. you know, getting to that's not um, my best use of time. We then do the wealth solver and the risk researcher and the financial projections, uh, go back to the planner. We create the like-for-like like quotes, um, the quotes for the product. So all of that research that I was talking about before that would take six, seven, eight hours for a financial planner – to do to get the plan request done, we can do that for them. Um, so we do that piece. We communicate back with the financial planner, make sure the projections are all correct. They're happy with the needs analysis that we've run through the plan, the quotes, and so forth, uh, and their products. So some planners have, you know, their model portfolios or their preferences. So so we tap into that and and get all that um, research completed. And then we go off and write the plan, which is the final piece. And that takes quite some time as well to make sure that what's in the plan matches what's in the file note, also satisfies best interest duty. You know, one of the big things we're constantly picking up on is things that will trip you up in an audit. So we pick those things up um, and give you that feedback the biggest ones are best interest duty with replacement of product, making sure you've had a discussion around their health and insurance if something's being rolled out. Um, and, you know, the, the planners are loving it. Yeah. And so then you do the compliance check or you personally do some a lot of the compliance checks on the way out. Absolutely. The I check done. every plan. Yeah. Now, I'm imagining that every single um, plan is different when you rock up to a, a new relationship and... Uh, there'll be different people will be at different stages and their businesses will be all different some will want to do the research some won't how do yep. you how do you work through that at the beginning because it's 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 pretty daunting for uh, I guess for and that, that new relationship to kick off when you both want to be on the same page yeah totally so generally most people start as just the traditional financial plan or power planning um, support and they complete what we call our high level strategy document um, we set that up essentially ideally for us um, we want planners to run their initial meeting write a thorough file note complete their risk profile questionnaire and whether we do the existing product research or they do doesn't matter and then they complete what we call the brain dump in the high level strategy document so they've run their meeting and then complete the the brain dump. Every planner knows the things that they're going to look at for this client after that initial meeting. So it's like tick salary sacrifice, tick uh, non-concessional contribution, tick consolidate into XYZ fund using our model portfolio, um, tick needs analysis. We run through that with them once so we know exactly what they need and then we'll go and run all of that insurance research and we know their preferred providers if they have them and, and their in insurance philosophy. So, yeah, it's it, it, each plan is different, but we su we support both essentially. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so you'll then work with the planner to say, what are your, what's your process? Is there any way that we can help you yep. uh, with, with their existing process, just refine it? Absolutely. So we've got um, the file naming conventions. We, we tend to share their client folders and, and so forth so that we're uh, using one source of truth. 
And so when I open up the covers on how financial planners are saving their client folders and what things look like in there, then um, I bring through the naming conventions and, and try to get them to start saving things in a methodical manner in each file so that I can find them easily. Um, and it also helps make sure that if they are doing the plan request and a lot of the research themselves that I can easily find things in their file um, as they need it. So it's just like a little practice management audit where you go through and say, if you wanted to run a really efficient practice, do you, you could try Absolutely. these things? So Okay, very yep. good. So you come in and help them, not just for the power planning side, but actually all the parts that lead up to power planning that makes the power planning easier? Exactly. And that's win-win because it makes it so much easier for my for me when I get the plan request through and check that we've got everything we need to then pass straight on to the power planner to get the plan written. Yep. yep. Otherwise, they forget things. You know, I've got to go back for like for like quotes and we've got checklists and things that support them in um, making sure that either they've given us the data or we have to go back and get the data. So in a way you're managing the whole power planning process from from the from the moment the client leaves the uh, moment the advisor leaves the client meeting through to the next meeting. Yes. Yeah, wonderful. Okay. Uh, and um, so all right, so there's that business that you've got set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long has that been going for? Uh, started that in October last year. Right. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic, and and uh, and already up to uh, eight paraplanners. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, eight so paraplanners, and I actually had to stop saying yes to financial planners because we just weren't quite ready in making sure we had well trained staff to roll out the plans at the appropriate level that we needed to roll them out at. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, interesting dilemma, isn't it? Having too much business and then and then putting on more paraplanners and then growing and yes, know, taking yeah. those stepping stones. Uh, okay, so one of the other things that you've worked on um, off the back of that, and it's probably come off the back of training your paraplanners and your teaching background, obviously, was a lot of the, the, the training work that you've been doing and then now moving into the PY uh, candidate year. Yeah, so we've spent a lot of time training in my business the people doing the admin role, uh, I guess training financial planning staff that we're working with. We do one-on-one consulting um, with various businesses as well, if that's what they're after. And and that's really how it's evolved is that uh, we need to set an industry standard for the back office process and training, especially now that we're heading into financial planners training new entrants, graduates, students coming into the professional year. It's, uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think uh, a lot of people would just assume that's been set when like FASIA came along and they said, here's the guidelines, here's, the, here's what the PY, the professional year looks like. Uh, there you go, go ahead and do it. That's, yeah, that's no, not the that's case. not the Are case Are you telling at all. me that's not the case? I'm not sure whether you've looked at the FASIA <laughs> website on the, the logbook and their professional year template. It's very, very vague. Yes, yeah. I, I have heard about it. Um, so, but it's also, uh, there's a few things I want to talk to you about the professional year itself because it's uh, professional year, not a year. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, the professional not a year we should call it the um but also just around that training and and supervision and the roles and responsibilities of everybody because um uh, one of the things i've spoken about lately was the idea of what for csa then licensees come in with a new stand like a a standard over and above that Uh, we're going to have all these other different things and you said there's it's good to have a standard but I, I love the word standard and so many different standards. Nothing's standard. No, no. And everyone, you know, I went to the three sessions in Southeast Queensland last week 
um, with the FPA and AFA when everybody combined. And what really stood out for me is that everybody's just making it up as they go along. Yep. This is what you do at the beginning. This is, absolutely, this is what we do. That's how the financial plan- planning industries evolved. Yep, yep. It's all just been. Here's the thing. Here's a problem. Let's let's all solve it in a slightly different way that uh, exactly. look, looks and looks and sounds a little bit different. Uh, and again, nothing standardised. Um, talk to us about what you've done in this space. Okay, so essentially, we've gone about um, creating the hundred hours of structured training um, for the professional year, but. It's also, um, you know, it's an online program. Um, You can sign up to the whole course or uh, micro-credentials within the course. So it's not just for professional year um, candidates or uh, people completing their professional year. It can be for anyone working in the financial planning industry. So you might have an admin person who wants to progress so they can tap into these um, you know you might have a para planner who isn't quite up to speed with best interest duty and safe harbor steps so there might be a course for them to go and, and I guess further their knowledge and and tap into the little bits that, that, that they need overall it's a hundred hours of structured training that covers off all four quarters of the professional not year <laughs> ideally we, I mean we've gone through and ro- mapped out in its entirety the professional year we have the professional year uh, template that was discussed a lot that you you need to have at the start to give to your licensee so we can support licensees on that front uh, we support the planner in what sessions the professional year candidate actually needs, you know, those soft skills that we have kind of mapped out in in quarter three and quarter four. Um, Maybe I should start at the start. So so let's let's talk about the quarters. I I think it's a good segue to start talking about the first quarter, second quarter and and, and, and go on from there. So let's start with the first one. Yeah, so quarter one is all around the admin um, side of things, making sure they're across the financial planning process. They've got um, templates in place. Um, processes in place, a, a well-structured um, back office process from start to finish. Good foundation. Good foundation. Um, now, we have earmarked that as something potentially we're, we're looking at maybe uh, – t- we're talking with Griffith Uni at the moment around the p- potential of, of looking at that as being an internship scenario where people maybe in year three of their uni degree are able to – be, I guess, matched up with a financial planning business that, that can provide them with a little, a little bit of real-world training on that because, you know, no matter how much you learn from a um, technical perspective, you still need to go and apply the knowledge that you have and get the real-world experience. So, um, And this is how trades work, obviously, with uh, with apprenticeships. They they send people off to TAFE or some, some, they do the education in the classroom at the same time getting a little bit of real-world experience. Yeah, and similar to my teaching degree, you know, from, from the very start, we start with a week in the first year and it progresses to bigger chunks throughout the time. So it's a really valuable um, tool, I believe, that, that needs to be rolled out to support these um, students so that when they finish their degree, they're not completely green. They, they've they had a little bit of experience already. They know the financial planning process and that professional year, they can then fast track 
quarter one, if they've done quarter one, quarter two, which is the power planning side of things, I've kind of earmarked that for year four of their degree um, where they get more into the research and the power planning and best interest duty and, and all of that stuff. Which is stuff they should be learning uh, in, in the classroom. I think they do degree. that in their final subject in year four. So, Actually writing a financial plan? Writing a statement of advice, yeah, and they have access to X plan to do that, I believe. Yep. I may be wrong, but that's what I, I think I was told. So, so quarter one, admin. Quarter one, admin, uh, all the templates, phone scripts, uh, super inquiry forms, everything you need to be able to complete that ab- admin um, process annual reviews, what goes into an annual review, FDS obligations, opt-ins, all of those things. Um, And then quarter two is the power planning piece, how to research, how to do projections, scoping advice, what a SOA looks like, what goes, what needs to be in it. Um, And I hear you've been doing some pretty exciting video. Yeah, um, working on some video statements of advice. Yeah, that's exciting. Keep, keep, keep that one under wraps. Oh. Don't, sh- don't tell anybody. It's a secret. <laughs> exciting. I mean, it's, it's an exciting secret. Can't wait to learn yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then um, once that's, you know, really, can you learn that in three months in it your pr- professional year quarter? Yeah, well, p- probably not. No, no. No, no. That's why it needs to be a longer process. Um, and you need to get cracking on it before you start your professional year. Get that experience under your belt. Because then when you do start your professional year, it could just be a professional year in that you're really just fast-tracking quarter one and quarter two and you're spending 12 months completing the financial planning training piece and that's all the soft skills around how to run a meeting, uh, how to how to connect with a client, how to make them f- uh, feel like you're listening to, yep. to what they're saying and that you're really engaging with them. So um, are these are these quarters broken up into twenty five hours a quarter? Is that what we haven't got that far yet? Um, at this point, I've mapped out the whole program and what that looks like. Yep. Um, I feel like I'm not sure to be to yeah, be honest. Yeah, no, I was just wondering if the, whether that was a requirement or that's something that they haven't really put it in place. They've just said a hundred hours. It's just a hundred hours, hours yep. from my understanding. Yeah. Yep. So they've left it nice and big. Plus fifteen hundred hours of. Training. Yes, Yes. on the job. On the job training, which is, I guess, where that soft skills piece is the most important. So we we support the supervisors in giving them all of this content um, and checklists. You know, when they're when they're sitting with a professional year candidate who's running a meeting, what things are they looking for? What feedback can they give? Those kinds of things. We're we're supporting them to to complete that piece in their job. Supporting the supervisor or the yeah, advisor? supporting the advisor. Super, su- super advisor. Super advisor, exactly. Good one. One of the things that, one of the things that uh, we'll, we'll get back to the quarters, but one of the things that um, I would expect is that a lot of um, advisors would know stuff in their head and uh, not necessarily have it on paper, um, and they might be very good at knowing things and being able to talk to clients, but not necessarily great at, it's they have the skills involved for training or teaching. Absolutely. It's probably going to be the biggest struggle, I would think, in terms of rolling out that professional year because everyone does that naturally, but then to kind of break it down and teach someone else how to do that is 
is going to be the challenge. There's definitely a skill in teaching and there's a skill in, in adult learning, which, uh, which pro- probably I think is a big part of this and yes. will evolve over time, but I don't know how it's been, how well it's been considered. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a challenge. So, so, so let's, let's get into the second quarter, the power planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got all that structured training, how to be a, how to be a power planner. Yep. And that's obviously something that you've developed for both your business as well as this year. This year. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's, you know, we follow the same process throughout. So I guess because we've got that process in place um, already for our staff, it, that's probably the easiest one to then go and train. Now, one thing I guess to um, note there is that it's not uh, – it's very high level. So – uh, what needs to be in a plan. It doesn't actually, you know, we can do this in, in separately, but we don't go um, software specific because there's so many different um, software providers out there that are practice specific and, and firm specific, specific. So they've chosen what they think is the best that's going to work for them. Yep. We don't really tap into CRMs either. You know, we might mention broadly a number of different options, but they're all... F- you know, each practice makes their own decision on those things, so that would be impossible to yep. roll out. Yeah, now you've got to keep it, uh, keep it, uh, keep it up. You know, up above that level of you know choosing specific products, don't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, software products. Uh, okay, so you've got the power planning. That's quarter two. Mm-hmm. Um, there, then, then I guess we have a break between quarter two and quarter three, don't we, for the for them to do the exam. Yep, the exam goes in between those two. So that's a really important piece is making sure you know when the exams are scheduled. I I did look recently, but I couldn't see exactly what's happening in the new year with exams. It's been fairly easy for the last couple of years because they've been regular, but I'm not sure what's happening in that space now that things have changed. Yeah, because it's a big thing to run a national exam for a handful Let's yep. let's call it a handful of PY people coming through in the first couple of years. There's not going to be the numbers Absolutely. that we've seen uh, in the past with the amount of people sitting the exam. So it's a big effort to run the exam. So yep. it's it's going to be an interesting t- development just to follow this to see how often that's going to be run over the next couple of years. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's nothing to stop a, a supervisor and a candidate from – um, working together and, and doing those soft skills and starting the structured training and, and getting that foundation. But for them to be in a in a meeting, they need to have that covered yep. off. So. so so theoretically, you can't start quarter three until you've done the exam and got yes. the results back. And yes. we all know that takes about a bit of time as well. Yes. That's assuming they pass first go. Correct. Absolutely. And with the assumption that they pass. So first quarter gets done then a bit of a time ticking off, then start the second quarter, done that. Now we've got to wait till the next exam comes along. Uh, then we've got to get our results back. Then we can start quarter three. Mm-hmm. So it's not an overnight uh, overnight success. Um, tell us about quarter three. Quarter three and quarter four, really, we, um, we've we mapped it out in its entirety. Um, we, like I said before, how to run a meeting, how to answer clients' questions, all of those soft skills that go into – being a financial planner, it, it's the bit that comes easily to most financial planners. But when you're learning that and and a new entrant, um, I think the professional year people that spoke last week said, you know, you've got all this stuff going around in your head and then you're sitting in front of a client trying to talk to them and it's quite overwhelming. So I guess it's just giving them the, the skills um, to then run a meeting and 
working through that process for clients. Yeah. A lot of those giving them the con- confidence. A lot of those out. skills, yeah, confidence is a big part. A lot of, a lot of those skills come uh, come over time with experience. Yep. Uh, and, and and learnings, I guess. I, I always think, thought to myself uh, when I put myself back there, I was like, I, I knew all the PDSs from start to finish, and I could I could read them all off and tell everybody all about what was in the PDS, and nobody really wanted to know. <laughs> they just wanted to know that I knew. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's making sure you're giving them the bits of information they care about, um, but also ticking off the compliance list, you know, like how to run through an FSG. You know, that's something an advisor would take for granted, but would be quite bamboozling for a professional year person coming in. You know, they as a starting point, you would think attention to detail, you'd literally be going through the whole thing. That's not what financial planners do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, being client, the client friendly approach. Yeah, I, 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 I guess. always bring it back to that client understanding, right? Looking at the yeah. client, saying, "Did you understand all that? You, yeah. Have you got everything? Do you need what? What more do you need to know?" Yeah, and that's an important skill as well: is constantly checking back in with the the client to get them to explain what you've just said. Yeah, you know, they're all things that will be discussed in depth and, and covered off as part of that structured training. Yeah, so quarter three and quarter four, yep. almost the same content. Yeah, repeated over, you know, you, you do the structured training piece, but then the import, really important part is that time spent in front of the client, yep. getting to practice feeling, application. Feeling comfortable, feeling confident. Absolutely. Fantastic. And uh, so, so that's a course that you're running out? Yes, and and who who's that for? Uh, it's really for. As in who who are you designed to 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 go directly to? Is it for the? For it, it's really for the um, licensee, the financial planner or supervisor, as well as the professional year candidate. They will all have access by signing up to the course. You will get your logbook um, certificates, CPD points allocated to our training programs, as well as the professional year template. Um, mapped out in its entirety so you don't need to then go and create your own all of those things that you need to complete your professional year and tick off um, are part of are provided as part of that yep so it, so I'll just go, go high level if you're a licensee and, and you want to pr- produce standards they can just dip into this absolutely if, if a financial advisor wants to be a supervisor and they don't know where to go they can do this but they'll but then the the candidate should be and we sort of talked about this in the in the in the road show that went around should be then uh, getting this information and taking it to a, an employer to say, hey, put me on as a, as a PY candidate yes. and here's all the information that we need. We'll yes. make it easy on you. It's not um, it's it's not something that you have to create. Absolutely. It gives them, I guess, it helps support the supervisors by knowing what to do for that year because, you know, a lot of people still don't know what to do. There is no no program out there at this point in time that will support people to roll out the professional year. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, so as we as we evolve and develop over time, obviously this course will have to keep moving and A hundred percent. So every 12 months as part of the CPD accreditation, we have to resubmit all of the coursework to the CPD, CPD accreditor and have it uh, reassessed. reassessed. Yeah. So we need to make sure that everything we're doing is um, keeping up to date with legislation changes and best practice. Yep. So you mentioned CPD points. I'm, I'm assuming that the points need to be accredited CPD for Absolutely. the 100 hours. Yes. And uh, and you can't just go and 
you know, businesses can't just go up and say, oh, we did some training over here and it, if it's not accredited for CPD, it doesn't count? Doesn't count, absolutely, yeah. So this will have a, an official certificate that you're provided at the end of the course to say you've completed one CPD point in practice management or whatever it is, um, depending on the appropriate area, yep. CPD area. Yep, and then the 50, the supervision hours is up to the advisor to sign off on. It is, but again, we provide them support around giving feedback, what um, things need to be ticked off to make sure that they're going to be up to speed um, at the end of their quarter three and quarter four. Yep. How long do you think it's going to take somebody to complete the PY, the not, the not year? Oh, how officially or unofficially? I think, I think like, I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they want to actually know the, the real answer, what, what, what are you thinking at the moment? Think, we can't speak about the future just yet. We will in a second, but yeah, at the moment. I think bare minimum, you know, to be have enough experience going through the whole process, it really depends on the number of clients, I guess, that you experience from start to finish. Um, but bare minimum would be 18 months. I would think, plus longer because, to be honest, every day you hold a client meeting, you think, oh, I could do this better. So there's always the lifelong learning attached to the back of that. Of course. Of course. There's definitely definitely lifelong learning involved. And the confidence, I guess, you know, like as you progress in in the number of years that you've been planning, you just – get more confident and, yeah, I and think, better. I think a lot of um, planners out there would, would turn around and say, you know, uh, we didn't want to, want to do too much more education, but actually we've got some really good information out of it and actually I'm a better person for it. And, and yes. you know, it, sometimes you learn stuff and then you use it, it works, and then you stop doing it and you forget about it and then it comes up again and you go, oh, that's right, I use it and you, and you implement it again. So I think um, that lifelong learning is a great conversation to be had when if you are a supervisor of a PYA candidate, you'll probably learn a lot yourself out of it. Absolutely. Wonderful. Now, tell us about that. So you've got the course um, out there at the moment. Where, like, what's, the, what's the name of the course? Where can people find that? Well, we've called it the Financial Planning Academy. It's on our website, fpassistant.com.au. So it's Financial Planning Academy. Yep. And uh, FP Assistant is your, your business name for your power planning business? It is, yes. And tell us about, you've also got a LinkedIn group with that. Yeah, so I set up uh, off the back of those um, sessions that I went to last week for the Christmas party, talking about the professional year, I feel like it's going to be an ongoing conversation and we need to support one another in what works, what doesn't work, tips and tricks. So I've created a a LinkedIn group called the Financial Planning Professional Year Hub um, and really I'd love anyone and everyone to join that has an interest in um, creating fantastic financial planners for the future because there's a big gap with the number of planners that are leaving over the next number of years, as we all know, versus the number of new entrants coming through. Uh, so we, we all need to get involved in making sure that we have sufficient, um, I guess, succession plans for our own businesses, but also new entrants that are coming through that, that are trained to a really good standard. Yep. It's certainly uh, what we all need to do for the future of the profession. Absolutely. Um, okay, so the Financial Planning PY Hub is the yes. LinkedIn group. Yes. Jump on LinkedIn and have a look at that. Uh, they can, how can people find you? Is the, what's the best way for them to reach out if they want to continue this conversation? Uh, on the website or on LinkedIn, send me a message. Uh, Kate Zerbst. 
Kate Zerbst, Z-E-R-B-S-T, yeah. uh, and FP Assistant is your website. Yes. Dot, dot .com.au. Dot .com.au. Wonderful. Kate, thank you so much for coming and chatting to us today. Really appreciate running through all that different stuff you're doing. It's, it's super exciting. It is. It is. I've got a, a big 12 months ahead rolling out the program. Yeah, loved it. I can't wait to see how it all uh, unfolds over the next 12 months. I'll be following it with interest. Thank awesome. You. Thanks, Fraser.